20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to another co-branded edition of the Pack a Day Podcast. This time we are brought to you by the Pack a Day Podcast as well as the Packers Wire. I am so incredibly excited to be joined by my good friend, Paul Brettel. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Paul, we are one week into the season. We are, you know, seeing the Packers at one and oh. We've seen Aaron Rodgers go down with a brutal, devastating injury. We saw the Lions beat the Chiefs. We saw, I don't know what, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Herbert all lose in the same week. It has been a crazy week, but more importantly, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm really looking forward to these Tuesdays and joining you at Talking Packers. And like you said, it's been a wild week one, which is a surprise, but also it's the NFL. So maybe we shouldn't be that surprised either of all the everything that took place over the last few days. It is, it is unbelievable because just when you feel like, all right, like, we've kind of got this figured out. We kind of know teams are good. What kind of, you know, teams are bad and you know, there's not going to be any like crazy earth shattering injuries in week one. And like, you, you just, you, you feel like you have a pulse going into the season of like kind of how things are going to go. And then it's just like, Nope, we got a totally different plan. Mm-hmm. Buccaneer Baker Mayfield's beating the Vikings in Minnesota. Like it just, it never, and that's what's so amazing about it. When you only have 17 guaranteed weeks of football for any given team, like all of those things matter. And I know week one can lie and you never know if it's going to carry over to week two and the rest of the season, but my goodness, what an unpredictable league this is week to week. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like you said, for everything that you just laid out and, you know, I'm just incredibly excited to see what next week has in store, honestly. No, that, yeah, a million percent. Let, let's start with the unfortunate news. I had the opportunity to do uh, an episode at you know after the injury happened, but we got word today that Aaron Rodgers officially ruptured his Achilles. He is done for the year. He's already been placed on injured reserve. Um, you know, we don't need to, to dive too far into it, Paul, but just sort of your overarching thoughts um, from seeing that game last night to the injury to the news today that he is officially done for the year. Yeah, I mean, just just gutted. I said beforehand, I couldn't remember a non-Packer game that I was more excited to tune into and watch than that Jets game. And frankly, just to watch Aaron Rodgers and the Jets for the whole season. And, you know, the the big thing for me now, and I'm sure many out there, is what what's next? You know, we don't know what the future holds for Aaron Rodgers. So the knowing the competitor that he is, how this offseason went with him, talking about how rejuvenated he was, how excited he was. There's obviously that party that says, you know, he'll he'll bounce back from this. He'll come back from this and take another swing and see what he can do in, in 2024 with the Jets. But also, man, it's an Achilles injury at nearly 40 years old. I don't, at least off the top of my head, I don't know if there's a, another injury, you know, another Achilles injury of someone who's in that stage of their career, you know, nearing the 40-year-old mark that we can look back to, not just in football, but really in any sport to kind of, get an idea of, you know, maybe, and obviously injuries affect everyone differently and afterwards, but maybe what could happen, what this could look like, how that could affect his decision-making, what he does moving forward. So just a ton of unknowns, but gutted is the, the, the word I would use to describe it. Yeah. It's, it's probably a perfect word to, to, to use in that, that situation. And I think the thing is, is like, we could easily be like, well, you know, he's not a running quarterback anymore. So if he, you know, if he can get it back, but like, the way he throws, he uses so much of his legs to throw. 
and you don't you don't know how he's you know even if he is able to like play you don't know, like to some of his like I'm, I'm gonna use the word like arm strength but it's not his arm it's it's his power is generated from his legs is is he does he not have that same arm talent that he had before because of the Achilles injury and in, we've seen now some pretty significant injuries for Aaron Rodgers he's going to be 40 in December and like the the Pandora's box that this opens because for the Jets their salary cap situation is going to be insane if he retires it all accelerates into 2024 which is a complete nightmare for them so they almost have to like work around that whole situation and then you've got like the what if Zach Wilson plays well I don't think that's necessarily going to happen but what if he all of a sudden plays really really well or on the flip side what if he plays terrible enough where they're in the top three in the draft and all of a sudden you've got Drake May, Caleb Williams, you know, Sugar Sanders, like you've got some potentially really talented quarterbacks. Do they have to just go in that direction at that point? Like the, the Pandora's box for the Jets is insane. And then, you know, then you could get into the, well, what if the Jets go elsewhere and he wants to keep playing? That Pandora's box mm -hmm. is even more insane. So obviously gutted is the right word first and foremost for, you know, seeing him not being able to play gutted for Jets fans, Aaron Rodgers fans, Packer fans, um, you know, all of it. It just, it's NFL fans, maybe most importantly, like how many premier games did Aaron Rodgers have on the schedule with the Jets? Like they had a packed like Jets mm -hmm. Cowboys this week, Jets Cowboys, Aaron Rodgers versus that defense. That is a marquee game. And instead it's just like Zach Wilson versus Micah Parsons doesn't have that same, uh, right. same feel to it. So it, it sucks all the way around. I'm completely bummed out by it. And uh, hopefully for him, he bounces back quick and can make it back and, and then do whatever he wants to do, whether that's play football, um, announce, do a podcast. He's welcome on Pack-A-Day if he's interested. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, hoping that he can find whatever he wants to do. I mean, that's a good point, too, about the potential effect of the throwing for him because of his legs. I mean, I think it was prior to his most recent MVP seasons, he talked about uh, how important going doing squats has been for yeah. him, how he went back and watched, I think it was like 2010, 2011 tape and saw something with his footwork or something within that, you know, the lower part of his body that helped, you know, uh, re-spark that Aaron Rodgers from those years that we had seen up as of late. So I think that's a really good point in terms of a potential, you know, trickle-down effect to his overall game and not outside of just the mobility aspect of it. Yeah. So it, it's going to be really interesting just to see if he has the motivation to, to work his way back and get it back in football shape from that injury. That is, that's a, like, when did Durant injure his at like age early thirties, maybe yeah. like, and that was a really difficult injury for him to come back from at that age. Um, now basketball and football, not complete apples to apples, but man, it just, yeah, sucks all the way around. Let's, let's talk about something a little bit more uplifting. However, as we sort of transition off that kind of crappy topic into uh, a hopefully more fun and exciting topic, I want to talk same position, uh, but we'll talk Jordan love in, in, you know, the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers. You did a great article over on Packers wire and just sort of discussing, you know, him attacking the middle of the field a little bit more. So I'll let you just kind of take the reins and kind of what you saw from him on Sunday and, and kind of what you wrote about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The tack in the middle of the field was something that Love did often. He was nine of 14, 132 yards, two touchdowns when doing so. And, you know, we saw him doing that going back to OTA's offseason programs. That's been a big part of the Packers training camp practices. And it's a big part of the, the Matt LaFleur offense, you know, targeting the middle of the field, you get guys in space, you give them yards after the catch opportunities, especially with this offense that has so much speed on it. And we saw that on 
the Aaron Jones touchdown, the 35 yard one, you know, it was an angle right out of the backfield, created a mismatch. He's one on one with a linebacker. You know, defenses nowadays, as we know, playing a ton of cover two, opportunity to attack the middle of the field, space was wide open, and it created that yard run after the catch opportunity for Jones on the, the touchdown to Romeo Dobbs on that opening drive. You know, they had a crossing route and then a route in the flat that kind of cleared a throwing lane for Love. Romeo Dobbs had a one-on-one and, again, creates those opportunities for them. So it's a big, big part of this Matt LaFleur offense for those reasons. And as we all know, that's not something that they had done a ton of yeah. under Aaron Rodgers. He preferred to to throw to the boundaries. And uh, Dusty Evely did the number crunching on this one, but he went back to 2019 through 2022, and Rodgers ranked 60. Fifth out of 67 quarterbacks uh, during that span in terms of using the middle of the field. Number one during that span, not surprisingly, Jimmy Garoppolo in the 49ers offense at nearly 60% of his pass attempts. And we can often look to, hey, what's San Francisco doing to get an idea of what the trickle-down effect could be happening in Green Bay, as we all know because of the overlap uh, from those offenses. But of course, with that, and like anything, there's a downside or something that we got to be mindful of. That's turnovers for for uh, not just Jordan Love, but any quarterback. But you throw to the middle of the field often. Windows can get tighter. Things can be congested. But what's been encouraging from Love, again, throughout this entire summer offseason programs is he's done well taking care of the ball. He's been going through his progressions. He's I've, One of the things I've been really, really impressed with is for, you know, his fourth season, but you know, as we all know, first time starter. But he's been—I uh, feel really good about knowing when to push the ball downfield, when to try to throw it into that tight window, and when to move to his next progression and just take what the defense gives him. So, if they're going to attack the middle of the field as often as we expect them to, uh, love taking care of the football is going to be very, very important as well. But they found a ton of success there, and it's something that we're going to continue to see them doing throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, you talked about so much there that I like. Um, the first thing is his progressions, and you get the real feel that he has the innate feel kind of already of, of touchdown to check down, where he's he's looking for those explosives, he's going through his progressions, but if it's not there, he's willing to take the check down, and if he doesn't get to that next progression, he's also able to navigate within the pocket and then get his eyes back up, or navigate within the pocket and then scramble when need be and pick up some yardage that way as well. Just that overall maturity, and you know, for this just being his second start in the NFL, and yes, it's his fourth season, he's had time to learn, but a second time starter to be able to do some of that stuff already is, is really, really impressive. And then you mentioned just the usage of the middle of the field. I'm sure you got the question a lot as well, but I know I did of like, what's different with, with Jordan love, like how, how different does training camp and, and, and like the vibe around the team and the, and mm-hmm. how they're like, the biggest difference for me was the use of the middle of the field. You, you know, yep. you saw Jordan come in from the start of OTAs, mini camps, training camps, and just ripping balls in the middle of the field. I'm like, that's right. I forgot you could do that. Like, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, and listen, Aaron had a lot of success doing what he was doing and he was the most risk averse human being in the history of the earth when it came to throwing the football. And, you know, it, it worked out a ton for him and uh, you know, just making sure he wasn't, you know, wasn't giving opportunities to the other team to get some of those passes, but um, we're going to see what that amounts to with Jordan, but I thought he looked really good doing it on, on Sunday. And I think just based on what we've seen in preseason training camp and now in week one, I think that's something that's going to continue to move forward as well. Yeah, hundred percent agree. All right, let's move on uh, to another uh, article that you did uh, talking a little bit about Darnell Savage. He led the team in tackles. Matt Lafleur obviously had some glowing things to say about him as well. 
Um, I had kind of a little bit more of like a, a neutral grade on Darnell this week, which is fine. Like I, that, that's never, I think people like view that as like a bad thing. That, that is a fine thing. If, if he plays at that level um, that we saw this past week, I will be very, very satisfied with the season for Darnell Savage, um, especially coming off two down years. But what did you see and what were some of your takeaways from his game on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the the 10 tackles and also important to that. He was, wasn't credited with any misses either because, as we yeah. know, tackles have been an issue for him. But, you know, outside of the numbers, it was just how he was playing, the mm-hmm. aggressiveness, the flying around. That was the part that had me, you know, the, the most excited. And I thought I, as I was watching that game unfold, I was thinking back to OTAs when the position coaches came in and spoke with us and Ryan Downard, the safety coach was up there. And, you know, he said, and I, you know, I think we all agree that Savage is at his best when he's pulling the trigger when he's letting it all hang out, when he's flying around playing downfield. And I felt like that's what was on display. We saw that 2019, that 2020 Savage that we've all been holding on to throughout the years of, all right, that's, that's the guy that we want to see out there. So incredibly encouraged by that, you know, Matt LaFleur on several occasions throughout uh, training camp talked about how he's been impressed with uh, his practice habits, his intensity in practice, his consistency in practice. And as you're hearing that in the moment, you know, in August, you, you, you do wonder, is it coach speak? Is this going to translate over to the regular season? So it's terrific to see that um, take place in week one. And Joe Barry goes, has said on a couple occasions as well, you know, there's so many unknowns at the safety position, but ultimately they're just looking for consistency right now. Right. That is the big thing. Put playmaking aside. That's on the back burner. We just need someone from day to day, down to down, who can go out there and execute their responsibilities because that was missing so much last season. There's, you know, and Savage was, you know, oftentimes at the, at the core of that, but the missed tackles, the miscommunications, the coverage breakdowns and Savage by his own admission late last season said that, you know, he, because he wants to make plays when he's not making them, he can get frustrated. And when he's frustrated, you know, you're not necessarily necessarily focused on the task at hand or you have your responsibility and all right, here's what I'm supposed to do, but maybe you push that boundary a little bit or void that responsibility completely because yeah. you're trying to go out there and make the play. So it, again, it goes back to like anything, that consistency. If he can do those little things, Matt LaFleur complimented him on his uh, communication on the back end pre-snap. If he can do that, if he can execute what's asked of him, if he can make those tackles, he's going then going to be in position to make the plays that he wants to make so bad. So it, it's one game, as we always say after week one, but more so than the tackle numbers or the missed tackles. I was just encouraged to see him flying around yeah. and playing that aggressive style that, that we know he, that we know he's capable of. Yeah. You go back to his college tape and he was somebody like, I think even the name like Bob Sanders got thrown around a little bit. And like some of those safeties who are more just hair on fire, flying around and just making instinctive plays and downer hit it right on the head. Like when he is that is playing that brand of football. That's why they like used to like using him in that robber role. You'll still see it from mm-hmm. time to time because he can just sit and poach and react and go and go make plays. You know, I think when he got too much into the just straight cover two, having to drop back and, and just kind of, you know, let everything happen in front of him. I think he did get a little bit impatient. I think he did get a little bit antsy. And I think, you know, he didn't let the game come to him. And then you start reaching and all of a sudden you're in the wrong spot. You're trying to, you know, it just, it all kind of falls apart uh, after that. And 
I was, like I said, I was definitely encouraged from this performance overall. And like you said, just seeing him fly around a little bit more, play with confidence and just play instinctual football. He's going to be in a really, really good position. If he can continue to play that brand of football, this is a contract year for him. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously Green Bay picked up his fifth year option, but uh, he's an unrestricted free agent next year. And um, if he wants to get that big payday, this is probably his biggest opportunity to do so and go out and play like the first round pick that he was expected to be. So hopefully we see that level from Darnell throughout the entirety of the season. Like you said, consistency is going to be a really big part of that. Hello friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA finals and I desperately wanted to go to game six in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane, and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. Goodbye Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Now thankfully, the day of the game I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used Game Time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using Game Time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the Game Time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game Time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using Prize Picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing, and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, and, and one other comment that Downard made is that you know, Savage needs to just trust what he's seeing and react to it. So I think that goes to the point you made of, you know, being asked to just be in that more, I guess, traditional safety role of being back in cover two. And, you know, that's something that's out of, you know, his comfort zone or not necessarily where his strength is, I should say. So, you know, maybe there's more thinking involved, more questioning involved in what you're doing, as we all know, when you're out there thinking versus just reacting to what you're doing, that's going to have a massive trickle down effect to your performance. No, good call. Uh, the next thing I wanted to go over was sticking on the defensive side of the ball. We kind of got some hints going into this first game mm -hmm. that this defense was going to be more attacking a more aggressive style, especially along the defensive line. And you kind of got the hint too of like, all right, 
they went, went out and got Devontae wide in the first round. And this year they come back, they get Colby Wooden, they get Carl Brooks, Lucas Van Ness is more of an attacking player. Like at some point, if you keep grabbing attacking players, one gap, you know, gap penetrating players, like you're going to think like they're going to start attacking more and playing more, you know, gap penetrating style of defense. We certainly saw some of that. We certainly saw a ton of twists and stunts. I know you wrote about it, but um, what did you see on the film uh, from Sunday? Yeah. I mean, that was a, a big part of it. And it wasn't necessarily a surprise that they were doing it because we, again, we saw it throughout the course of the summer, but I think the sheer frequency of it, I know uh, Dari Carragher at Packer Report pulled the numbers and Packers ran uh, 28 stunts against the Bears. He said that their average per game last season was seven. And I think the Bears had around 70-ish total offensive plays. So the Packers utilized stunts on over a third of their defensive snaps against them. And I mean, the, the results were excellent. Not that the Bears, you know, offensive line is, you know, one of these stout units, but held their uh, run game. The running backs turned to four yards per carry. PFF charted the Packers pass rush with a ridiculous 36 pressures. So, you know, we had talked to Kenny Clark. Uh, last Monday, so before week one, and he said there's going to be a different game plan. Of course, he didn't divulge what that included. I think we all had some, again, ideas of what that was going to consist of. He just gave a little smile and said, we'll have to check the watch the game on Sunday, watch the tape after to see. But obviously, that was a, a big component of it. And to your point about seeing them shoot in the gaps, you know, this summer, this group, the interior defensive line specifically, They've just looked so much faster. You got Devontae Wyatt in a larger role. You added Kobe Wood and you added Carl Brooks. And I, I went back or I thought back to the, the Play Callers podcast, which was, of course, about the offensive side of the yeah. ball. But there was that one segment when Brandon Staley was on there, coached under Vic Fangio. We all know Joe Barry is brought here to run a version of that defense. And, and when speaking on the podcast, Brandon Staley talked about the defensive front and two really important aspects to maximizing his system is versatility which the Packers have. I mean, Wood and Brooks played up and down the line yeah. in college. Devontae Wyatt, Kenny Clark, you can move around. And again, that that gap penetration rather than the, you know, typical packs, typical Packer type players we've seen previously, more of the Dean Lowry's, the the Tyler Lancasters of recent years where it's occupying space versus shooting gaps. So, I feel like there's definitely been over the last two years that conscious movement obviously from Gudikins the personnel department to get those kind of guys and I feel like now we're seeing that uh the the benefits of that taking place on the field and the edge rushers this group is just I mean there's so much deeper so much more talent than what they than what they had a season ago um within that position group yeah, there really is. I talked a little bit about this with Justice Mosqueda yesterday, but like there'd be times where you'd get Jonathan Garvin and Ladarius Hamilton rushing from the edges as your next guys up and it'd just be like, all right, well, they're not going to get any pressure from the edge on this play. Like, let's, we'll see what happens next down and maybe, maybe Preston or Rashawn can come back in, but yeah, the depth along the edges. And then like, I just think adding a, and like some unpredictability into the equation. Like you said, when, when you're averaging seven snaps a game of twists and stunts in games, like you're just making it very predictable for the opposing offensive line. And you can kind of get in your set and know what's coming. And if they throw a stun at you every once in a while, you're probably going to be able to pick it up. But the difference, you know, the different games they were running, the different twists, the different stunts, and then just the frequency with what they're doing it with, you know, with which they're doing it with, like it definitely stood out to me. And it's just like, it, to me, 
it, it harkens to the offensive side of the ball with motion and the, you know, illusion of complexity. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to give the opposing team something to think about. Even if you're not doing anything super exotic or sexy on your end, you still have to make the defense think that you might do something or that at any given moment, it could be something different than what it is actually showing. And I think along the defensive front, when you're throwing up different, you know, for, you know, different players and different um, twists, different stunts, different games up front. And then the next play, it might be a bull rush. And the next play, it might be Kingsley and Igbari with a spin, but like you're just throwing different things at him. You're making him think a little bit more. And I think that's just completely advantageous for those defensive players up front. Yeah. And to, to the edge rusher depth, like Brenton Cox was inactive last year. He's week one. If he's on that, that same roster, he's playing, he's in the rotation. Yeah. Keyshawn Banks, he's a practice squad player. I think a year ago, he would have had a legit shot of being on the 53 man roster with his That's performance this summer. Um, just to go to show the improvement there. And, and just speaking of some other potential changes, there was a ton of linebacker blitzes throughout, you know, not so much against Chicago, but throughout training camp in the preseason. And I asked Quay Walker if that was something that they were, that was different from a season ago. And he said, yes, throughout the summer, they were blitzing a whole lot more than that time a year ago. So just something else to keep in mind that they do have in their back pocket and something that again, over the summer, they've shown that they've been willing to do is Joe Barry. Uh, Razul Douglas said that Joe Barry at the end of the season, you know, even after they do their individual exit, player interviews after 2022 he got the whole defense back together and basically gave them the floor to say what do we need to do different and as you can imagine the resounding response was we got to be more aggressive and so implementing these stunts using linebacker blitzes uh, again in training camp we saw the the cornerbacks uh playing closer to the line of scrimmage. So, and Razul Douglas said, you know, about halfway through training camp that so far Joe Barry had been uh, you know, during that part of the summer, uh, taking their advice and making those changes and, you know, having a more aggressive approach for that defense. Now, again, I know we all have to continue to see it take place into the regular season because at this point for most of us, it's, you know, we, we got to see it now before we're full yeah. believers, but there's signs and have been signs along the way pointing to these changes coming along the way. And, and again, the number of stunts ran week one is a great example uh, of that. Yeah, I think they were a little bit afraid of Justin Fields' scrambling ability, which is why they didn't right. bring more linebackers, just kind of keep more bodies back just to make sure that that stays in check. They brought Isaiah McDuffie on a play later in the game. I think they brought Eric Wilson, if I remember correctly. Um, didn't actually have a ton of success blitzing. They brought Rudy Ford on the touchdown pass that oh, yeah, over Keyshawn Nixon. Mm -hmm. They brought Jair Alexander, yep. and I think it was Nixon off the other side on the play where he spun out and scrambled for a first down. So they had, their blitzing actually didn't work too well. The good news is their front – and like they didn't have a whole need to either when your no. defensive front's getting that many pressures too. So, um, yeah, but definitely something they're going to have in their back pocket, especially when they don't have quite as mobile of a quarterback like Justin Fields to worry about. Speaking of that front, though, I got to talk about Rashawn Gary, and I'll, I'll start, and then I know you wrote about him as well. But <laughs> this was my third highest graded defender on the team this week. He played 12 freaking snaps in his first game back from a torn ACL. And, you know, we can talk about like, all right, Chicago's front. Like, I thought Darnell Wright held up pretty darn well, like mm -hmm. overall in that game, like for his first game as a rookie. Um, was it Braxton Jones on the other side? I want to say yep. um, like they, they were fine overall, but like to, for him to come in first game back and remember, like just go back last year. And I know Elton was playing right tackle, right side instead of left side, wasn't at his natural spot or whatever, but like it took him half the year last year to really start looking like Elton Jenkins again. For this guy, not only to be back week one 
in any capacity, but to be out there and to play as well as he did in only 12 snaps, like, and I think they could have used him more had they needed to, uh, you know, going in, like by the time the end of the third quarter was rolling around, they just basically didn't need to put him out there anymore. But just unbelievable. I can't wait to see more of this Rashawn Gary. Like it, Paul, it looked like he got better, which is just stupid. <laughs> I know, right? It was incredible. And like you said, 12 snaps, uh, PFS numbers, 10 of them were pass rush and five pressures. He played 12 snaps and he currently has the fourth highest pressure total in all of football heading into week two. Just incredible. He won 50% of his pass rush reps. I mean, those, those numbers are absolutely staggering. And, you know, Joe Barry talked about, obviously we saw last season, the, the production side of it that was lost without Rashawn Gary on the field. We all know that part of it. Overall, the Packers as a defense ranked 22nd in pressures last season. We all know about their struggles against the run, but Joe Barry also went into what they lose from a mindset standpoint when a guy like Rashawn Gary isn't on the field, that work ethic he brings, that mindset that he has. I think Matt LaFleur has used the term tone setter when talking about Rashawn Gary. He's one of those guys where just his presence on the field elevates everyone around them. Big time. And you have that coupled with, again, just a much deeper edge rusher room. Enig Bari looks like he's taken one of those, you know, year two leaps we often talk about. Justin Hollins is just all around steady. He's now had a full offseason in Barry's system. And then, of course, yeah, Lucas Van Ness, uh, just amazing athletic ability that we saw in that sack on Justin Fields. Brenton Cox, tons of upside. Preston Smith, of course, as well, who I thought held up uh, well against the run against Chicago. And, again, that's a part where these edge rushers, we, you know, with that position group, we think about getting after the quarterback, getting pressures, and obviously that's a big part of it. But that group, too, if the run defense is going to be better this season, that unit collectively has to be a lot better in that capacity as well. So in addition to how they got after the quarterback, I thought that that position group did really well against the run against Chicago as well. Totally agreed. I'm so excited for it. We're, I mean, we're going to see more Rashawn Gary as the season goes along. LVN is going to put together more of a pass rush plan, I believe, as the season goes along. He's just kind mm-hmm. of hair on fire, you know, attack, you know, one side of their, you know, attack the shoulder, attack with speed and power. I think that's even going to get more nuanced as the season goes along. I think Enigbari is going to get better as the season goes along as well. Preston's going to be Preston and they have the depth, like you mentioned. I, I could not be more excited for that group. And if, if Rashawn Gary can keep even remotely that pace up, uh, he's going to be off to a ridiculous season, even coming back from a torn ACL, which is crazy to think about. And uh, I was just going to say the they're, the Packers' ability in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Like the game of football, as we know, it's changed so much over the years, but you control the line of scrimmage, you're probably going to control the game. And they have what should be one of the best offensive lines units in football. I mean, man, if they can do what they did week one consistently, they're going to have one of the best defensive fronts in football. And that ability is going to allow them to hang around in games. There's going to be inconsistencies elsewhere, you know, especially on offense, first-time starting quarterback, young group of pass catchers. But if they can control the line of scrimmage, you know, keep Jordan Love or give Jordan Love time, uh, find success on the ground, you know, get after the quarterback. That's going to allow them to hang around in a lot of games this season, even though there's going to be ups and downs elsewhere. I mean, how many times, and this is a great transition, I wanted to talk about that offensive line next, but how many times did Jordan Love get to go to his third, fourth, fifth mm-hmm. read on a play because he had time to do so? The touchdown pass to Romeo Dobbs, the first one, how, how long was he standing in the middle of mm-hmm. that pocket? And kudos to him for like just standing in and knowing he had time and biding his time until Romeo came open. But like he had like three hitches just chilling in the middle of the pocket and there's nobody near him. 
there were a multitude of times where he's going through progressions and stepping up in the pocket and having all day in the world to make those reads. So uh, that is going to give, like you, you talk about the first time quarterback and a lot of young receivers, a lot of young tight ends, like that's going to give those guys time to get open and for Jordan mm -hmm. to get through those reads. And when you have that level of pass protection, which is a massive luxury in the NFL right now, if you watched any week one football at all, you will know that is not the norm around the league. The, the, you know, the defensive fronts are far more often ahead of the opposing team's offensive line to be able to give Jordan that time, those receivers time to get open. Um, that that's going to give you a puncher's chance in every game. And I think the run, the, like, yeah, you know, the run blocking needs a little bit of work yeah. and, and some cleaning up. I didn't think it was anywhere near, you know, probably where it needs to be. You also have a running back in Aaron Jones doesn't need a ton like that. Mm -hmm. That's his like superpower. Like he can find like crazy creases and holes that don't exist for mere mortal men. And yet Aaron Jones finds a way to get through them and, and create those explosive plays. Like, I don't like how many times was there like a guy in the backfield and like somehow Jones would cut it back that one first down that he got, it was like a three yard gain or something, but he like, there's like three guys in the backfield. He somehow reverses it back to the opposite field. And then like, there's no way you should get the first down. Like you're thinking maybe he's going to get a yard out of it. And then you think like, oh, maybe they just placed the ball wrong. But no, he got around the corner and gets three yards on the play. It's just like, if you've got a running back who can get a lot out of nothing in the running game and the pass protection is amazing and you've got ultra talented wide receivers with a really fun quarterback, like that, that is a potential recipe for success. And one that I think is, is going to be viable, not just against the bears, but against other teams as well. Yeah, I, I know after the game, Jordan Love said there was a few passes where he went through his progressions and no one was open. Then he's still standing there with time. He's like, all right, now what? Uh, just, <laughs> again, goes to show how well the offensive line played. And I think and I 100 percent agree with your point on the run game, especially on some of those tosses like there are. Bears defenders just running through the, the Packers offensive line on some of those run plays. And it feels like uh, A.J. Dillon is kind of a litmus test for how well the offensive line is doing from a run blocking standpoint. Like if, if he's picking up four or five, six yards per carry, they're doing well. If he's right. getting stuff for a yard or two, there's probably not a lot there. Cause again, as we know, he just doesn't have that, that ability to create like Aaron Jones does. So when the offensive line isn't, uh, creating those running lanes, he's someone who definitely feels it a lot more. And we saw that on Sunday. Totally agreed. Super excited about the offensive line. I um, wanted to go over uh, just a couple other things really quick. I wanted to read this tweet from Ben Fennel. Ben says, Luke Musgrave had one of the better week one performances for any tight end in the NFL, not just rookies, in my opinion. Efficient in the run game, found assignments, engaged effort, lost slowly, etc. And he's already a feature player in the offense. If you look closely, production will come. I could not agree more with Ben. I thought Luke was fantastic in this game and really shockingly, surprisingly, I, I had him graded really well as a run blocker in this game. Mm -hmm. Obviously some of those big plays down the field, you had the miss from Jordan to Musgrave that they just weren't totally on the same page. Sounds like Luke was probably the one who needed to just kind of take that upfield a little mm -hmm. bit more. You had the play where should have probably been a touchdown, but kind of the awkward fumble play. And he's just kind of backpedaling, finally got the ball probably should have scored there. So there was still some meat on that bone that that's left there for this, you know, this, this duo of, of uh, love and Musgrave to kind of connect on moving forward. As Ben said, he is going to be a major piece in this offense. And I, I, I literally, I, I, when I went through my scouting report, I noted some things that I really liked about Luke Musgrave's blocking ability that I thought was better than maybe people had given him credit for. If you would have told me this game in week one was peak Luke Musgrave in his career as a run blocker, I would have been like, I think that might even be better than what I would have expected. <laughs> so for him to do that in week one, it's not perfect by any means. It wasn't really good or great, but like 
what he did as a run blocker in this game was really, really impressive to me and far, far, far uh, exceeded my expectations for him going in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw firsthand throughout the summer, him definitely take some lumps in that capacity, which is uh, completely normal. We all know how difficult the transition is from college to NFL and just specifically in that run blocking capacity. But he did come to the NFL, even with the, the, the injuries that he had at Oregon State. He came with, I think, over 600 career run blocking snaps. Yep. So he had some experience. And then just the willingness to do so is such a big part of it as well. And, you know, if he can if that can become a key part of his game, like the Packers are hoping it can, it can just unlock so much for this offense. Like look at last year's tight end room. There was some predictability to it. Yeah. Robert Tunyon was asked to block. Yes. Mercedes Lewis ran some routes here and there, but if you're a defense, you have a good idea of what those guys are going to be asked to do. You have someone like Luke Musgrave, of course we know of his, his ability in the passing game, but if he can hold his own as a blocker and you're not necessarily especially with just all the versatility that this this offense has, if you're not necessarily able to key in on what he may be doing on a particular play, that puts you at a major disadvantage, especially with his speed, his size, his athleticism, and then just what that can open up for the rest of the offense. So him being able to, to be even just sound in that capacity is going to do so many things for this Green Bay offense. And one other thing I just wanted to mention about the versatility I think I mentioned to you during one of the training camp practices, like I know they're rotating guys in in part just to get them the reps that they need, but it just feels like there's endless combinations between the running backs, the tight ends, the receivers being able to play backfield slot wide in out, you know, you name it in terms of what Matt LaFleur can do with them, how he can mix and match them. And, you know, when we hear him talk about the illusion of complexity, that's what that is. It's being able to run a wide variety of plays from just a very few or a couple formations, creating mismatches. Guys can take on a wide variety of roles, responsibilities. So this offense is is so, so fun to watch. And right away in that first quarter, that first half, we saw that with so many guys being cycled in, you know, both the running backs, uh, at least three of the tight ends, I think five receivers all saw snaps within that first half. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think the other thing too, and I think Ben Fennel might've tweeted this out as well, but like, they gave opposing defensive coordinators a ton to look at in that game. They ran triple option. They ran mm -hmm. two full, like two basically fullback sets with like Musgrave yep. at tight end and then Deguara and Sims in like a fullback with a running back in the backfield and like an offset formation, which was really unique and interesting. As you mentioned, like the vast variety of personnel groups that they use, like they gave opposing coaches a ton to look at and not being able to just key in on one thing and would not be shocked if you get to week two and it looks totally different because that's the type of just playbook and, and different nuanced stuff that Matt LaFleur has in his playbook. And just when you think you hone in on something, it's going to be a, a totally mm -hmm. different playbook and, and a different complexity that he's going to show you the next week. So really looking forward to that as well. Uh, we had a couple pieces of news, just any overarching thoughts on Yash Nyman restructuring his deal or Austin Allen getting released from the practice squad and picking up Michael Jordan, of all people, uh, former starting offensive lineman for the Bengals and Panthers, if I remember correctly. Uh, with the Nyman news, you know, I, I was asked on on Twitter, you know, could this mean something more? And, you know, at least my thought on it is not for the time being. I, You know, there's still additional expenses that are going to come up. There's uh, you know, in-game bonuses that players might hit. There's the practice squad elevations that's yeah. going to fluctuate cap costs. They're going to want to have uh, available cap space for maybe any in-season additions. You know, we've seen them do that each year. Tavon Austin, 
uh, you know, Whitney Merciless, whoever it might be. So I think it was just a move to give them a little extra buffer because before it, they had, I believe, around five or so million in cap space um, prior to freeing up the two and a half that they got by reworking Nyman's deals. So, you know, not, not a ton by any means, but I think it's just more of kind of planning ahead. And that was kind of that or the Rashawn Gary extension are really the last two moves they have. That's going to be able to free up any cap space for them. Uh, in regards to signing Michael Jordan, you know, that's just, it's a depth move for the interior offensive line. That's a position that they just don't have a ton of guys at. I mean, on the 53 outside of their three starters, it's Sean Ryan and Royce Newman. You know, we all know Zach Tom could move in there if needed, but goodness, with how good he looks at right tackle, I, I don't know if they'd want to do that. And then prior to adding Michael Jordan to the practice squad, the Packers didn't have any uh, interior offensive linemen on the practice squad. So this was a depth move for practices just to have an additional body. And I think with what they saw from Ben Sims in that first game, who uh, early on, I think Tucker craft had more snaps than him, but he was starting over Tucker craft, you know, comes to the NFL from Baylor with a ton of run blocking inline experience. I think that, you know, that addition gave them in terms of their overall depth that they have in that room, the, you know, the confidence to move on from, a, again, a practice squad player, developmental player in, in Allen. Yeah, it is interesting. They only have, I mean, they do have DeGuara obviously too, but Sims, Kraft, and Musgrave tight ends, no no tight ends on the, the practice squad. They do have um, Henry Pearson as well as like the uh, fullback mm-hmm. more than, than certainly a tight end. But um, it'll be interesting to see if they add another tight end uh, to that group at some point. At the same token, like, a lot of times practice squads are developmental players and you've got Musgrave craft and Sims all as rookies. So it's mm-hmm. not like you need like a ton of developmental players at that Good position point. either. So I, I overall it makes sense getting another interior player who has starting experience in the league, I think is really smart, especially when you just get them on the practice squad. And as far as like the Yash restructure, like you usually want somewhere between, you know, seven and 8 million and just like the slush fund to got, kind of go through mm-hmm. the season, place players on IR, call people up from the practice squad, all those things that, you know, people don't think of as like being financial moves that cost towards your salary cap during the course of the year, but absolutely do. And there's definitely going to be need for some of those funds. And uh, the last thing you mentioned, the Rashawn Gary thing as well. But um, if if Brian just needed like a glimpse of, hey, let's just see what he looks like coming off the ACL before we like sign on the dotted line for the final thing. You're good. You can sign on that dotted line now. Like he's going to be just fine coming off that ACL. Maybe you want to see him play 50 snaps first or whatever, but like he's going to be just fine. And you can probably get that deal done sooner rather than later. Yeah. I, I tweeted this out like a week or two ago, just as a reference point, Kenny Clark's extension came in mid August. Uh, Elton Jenkins was in November. Bakhtiari's was in December. So it's going to get done. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, there's no, you know, like, all right, they always do them in August and now it's September. So start worrying. They just get done at variety of different times. Yep. All right. Very last thing before we get out of here, Packers Falcons, quick look ahead. Is there any uh, matchup or theme or anything that you're kind of keeping an eye on as we start transitioning over to, to Packers Falcons? Yeah, I think uh, the Packers run game, you know, as we just mentioned, it struggled to get going against the Bears. And that's going to be obviously a key element for them this season. It's a young offense. So you know, having them be consistently in second and long, third and longs, obviously it's not a recipe for success. So finding that success on the on the ground is going to be important. Uh, the defensive front, just curious to see if they can, you know, if they take that same approach, if this is really going to be who they are this season, uh, that that Falcons offensive line against Carolina, you know, from a pass protection standpoint, looks like the Packers are going to have the opportunity to get after Desmond Ritter. And then they have a, they have a really good run game as well that the Packers are going to have to contend with. Uh, and then lastly, just kind of the 
how the offense counters the adjustments. Because now you mentioned there's a variety of looks that they threw at the Falcons, but there's now tape on what the Packers like you know want to do, what Jordan Love likes to do, you know, areas that they found success, things that the Falcons are going to try to take away. So I mean, this is going to be the theme, you know, every week moving forward. But the defense is going to adjust. So in game, how do the Packers counter to what those adjustments are? Yeah, for me there, and I like all those. For me, there's two defensive linemen in this game that usually, as they go, their defense goes. And Kenny Clark for Green Bay, mm-hmm. and Grady Jarrett for the Falcons. And I'm sure Atlanta's going to be scheming up ways to get Grady Jarrett on Josh Myers. And I'm th- mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, Green Bay is going to be scheming up ways to get Kenny Clark, and maybe even to an extent Devontae Wyatt too on rookie Matthew Bergeron on the inside. I really liked Bergeron coming out. Haven't had a chance to throw on their tape from Week One yet, but. Um, I'm sure Green Bay is uh, going to try to get some mismatches there as well. So that those interior matchups, both in the passing game and in the running game, I think could go a long way in deciding. Like I said, Kenny Clark, Grady Jarrett, you want to see if the Falcons or Packers defense are going well, usually watch them first. And if those guys are going well, your defense is usually going well. So how the opposing offense tries to take those two away from the game, I think is going to go a long way in defining this one as well. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, you are absolutely incredible. Uh, we went through, but by the way, for those of you who are listening to this and maybe not as familiar with Paul, uh, the like first six topics that we talked about were our, all articles that Paul had out, out on Packers Wire already this week. And it's like Tuesday as we're recording this. So, uh, Paul, tell us where we can find your work and uh, maybe some of the other stuff that you might be working on. Yeah, absolutely. Find all my work over at Packers Wire. Head over to YouTube. I got a YouTube channel as well. It's just my name, Paul Brettel, B-R-E-T-L. Follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. Of course, make sure to follow Paul's work as well. He does a tremendous job. I uh, always appreciate talking with you, Paul, and I cannot wait to do this throughout the course of the season. Hopefully, we'll be talking next week as the Packers are 2-0. and uh, Everyone, make sure to have a safe and fun week. I'll be right back here tomorrow on the podcast with an all-new episode. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go! Go!